叫《男生》，这是我的博客叫《On Earth》，我们非常兴奋的谈论的我们的中国经历。I just had, I just had to do it. No,、uh, thank you for being with us today. My name is Nathan. What you've just heard is myself speaking Mandarin Chinese, and I was saying. Welcome everyone. My name is Nathan, and this is my podcast called Unearthed. I'm really excited to talk to you today about our Chinese experience, our being myself and my friend Hamish Wells, who have come together. We recorded this just after Christmas, but、um, I'm publishing it now as I thought it's Chinese New Year、uh, next week,、um, the twelfth of February, I believe, the Year of the Ox. And I just kind of thought it'd be a great time to talk about our experiences in China. Um, I met Hamish when we were in China, and I was blessed and privileged to go and study Mandarin Chinese for what for one year or ten months、uh, between twenty sixteen and twenty seventeen, and it just holds such a deep place in my heart. And I kind of thought, what better way to continue this podcast than to honour for a little bit of our experience there, give you a bit of an insight as to what it was like for us, some fun stories, some difficult moments,、um, and just give you a bit of I guess a, an introduction to our experience on it. But anyway, I really hope you enjoy this one. I had a great fun making it, and thanks to Hamish for coming on. I'll see you guys on the other side. Okay, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Honor Podcast. We are back after the festive season with another episode. This time with my old friend Hamish Wells as we talk China. Our experiences, expectations, memories of a pivotal point in both our lives, and this promises to be a really interesting peek behind the curtain at a country I have profound respect for and a lasting place in my heart. Without further ado, a conversation from us to you. Okay, so Hamish, you are with me today. Why don't you introduce yourself、um, and give us a bit of an overview first of all of how we met and our experiences in China in general? Sure. Um, so hi guys, my name is Hamish.、Um, met Nathan three years ago now. Yeah, almost four. Yeah, yeah.、Um, three and a half. Yeah, go crazy the whole time twice.、Um, yeah, so I met Nathan when I was working in Shanghai,、um, and it was actually just in, into my last year、um, of working there, and went up to see a mutual friend. It's、uh, called Sam. That we yeah we both knew at the time. Was well, was he both still doing it? <laughs> and yeah, it was just a, a really action-packed couple of days because I was only in town for I think three or four days. Yeah, it wasn't long. Probably more like two or three actually. And then we just went out for、uh, like dinner and just hit it off. I remember he still had his sneak cast on, but that didn't stop. <laughs> we,、um, we we just went around town on those hire bikes, didn't we? It's like yeah, yeah,、uh, until the wee hours.、Um, <laughs> we didn't do that for ages, and it was like. It was the peak of the summer, so it was still like thirty degrees. But now, having gone to that, actually, was quite a long time to cycle around the city on bikes, just just kicking it. Frankly, it was great though, for sure. And then, and then we、um, another, you know, I think it was the the grandma's house that we we all ate. Yeah, a restaurant queuing there, and then who was it? Someone dropped their ice cream or something straight on the on the floor <laughs> as we were waiting.、Um, I think it was Tom. <laughs> yeah. And it just we just all looked at it like, oh no! Do you know it's one of those things also because it's like when something like that falls on the floor, you're like, I feel really bad and I want to clean it up, but I know I'm not meant to clean it up, and there's no real 
the, the toilets are ages away in this place. It's huge. There's no there's no ideal way to do this. So you just kind of have to like slowly walk away. Oh. <laughs> the cleaning crew seems like sympathetic at least. And um, yeah, I mean, I just remember the first impressions of um, of the uni where you guys were studying at. It was so not what I was expecting because um, it was just. I remember those five streets north of the campus had this mm. kind of really European feel, I would say. And mm. I remember seeing what about um, the five streets. Yeah, yeah, and there was like horse-drawn carriages and stuff, and then <laughs> um, there was that really nice like amphitheater and running track. Yeah, the Menuhin, Menuhin Plaza. Yeah, that's that. That'd be the one. Legend. Um, but the, the name escapes me now. Um, I mean, I only went there the one time, but it was just not at all what I was expecting. It was the kind of European architecture. Um, it looked like something from Rome, more like. <laughs> it literally, yeah. It was so it was so good to live in that bit of the city. It's so different. So yes, myself and Hamish, we've met multiple times since, mostly in London since, and it's always been fun to catch up. And it, we always get back to reminiscing about China eventually, some way, somehow. You have to, like, um, for reference, I spent, I've been to China twice, and um, once for three weeks um, in 2015. That was part of a sort of school trip that you might do with modern studies, or modis as we knew it as, um, which is like, geopolitics and things of the like and we we absolutely loved it and we were absolutely ferried around like sheep around Tianjin and Beijing but it was amazing because like frankly when you're 16 you, you can't handle planning a holiday to China and it's just so nice to be taken around just showing the sights Tiananmen Square um, Temple of Heaven the Great Wall um, we went to we went to the Tianjin and Binhai Culture Museum, which is crazy. I, I actually wonder, like, all these other cities in China that aren't Beijing or Shanghai are still hiding so many of like a general Western traveling audience because they just don't think to look in places like that. But oh, absolutely amazing! And yeah, so we essentially we wanted to do this podcast just. I always think I just I just kept bursting with excitement when I think about China sometimes. I'm like, I do, you know what? I just want to do a podcast. And I just want to get it out there, talk about um, this wonderful story of what it was like to be there, the ups and the downs. And I think I think that's where we should start, actually, before even going there. What were your expectations? So as I said, I've been there 2015, and then I lived there for 10 months between 2016 and 2017, which is when I met yourself, Hamish. But before that, what were your your expectations of China overall? Yeah, I mean, completely different to, to the reality. Tianjin is just that one example, how different it was to what I was expecting. I guess I was expecting something more um, industrial for the big cities. Um, mm -hmm. I knew Tianjin would be um, like a port built up. For, it's one of the four centrally run um, cities. It's almost a province in itself, isn't it, basically? Yeah, like, yeah, it is, yeah. Beijing, Tianjin, Chongqing, and, and Shanghai. So. Mm -hmm. You know, I've, I've been to the to the others. I kind of had a um, like my own expectation of what what to expect, but it was still totally different. And um, yeah, but I guess even before that, um, just coming from from the UK, I guess it's more about your question, like what was my uh, expectation of China as the country? Um, yeah, I think from the movies you've seen and from uh, the stories that people told you, it's, it is very different, and a lot of it was 
um, out of date, I would say. Um, yeah, yeah. Not, not relevant because in their defense, I guess China is developing so quickly. Um, it's hard even for us to keep up. Yeah, 10 years ago is nothing like it is now. Yeah, even in the short time that we've we've been away since uh, those memories were made, it's um, it's definitely you you wouldn't recognize some of the streets. There'd be new buildings, even new like um, business districts. You know, a whole new section. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Reports and stuff just popping up. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think there are. It's safe to say there were a lot of um, differences from what I expected to, to the reality, but that's part of what made it um, so enjoyable as well because. Mm. China was always fresh and exciting. It was just there's always something new going on, um, and you know the the transport mix was so good. So just getting from A to B was was pretty painless, wasn't it? Just hopping mm. on the train. Yeah, yeah. yeah Especially yeah. coming from one of the biggest cities like Shanghai, Beijing is very close, obviously. And um, so yeah, it was it was pretty smooth to mm. just get around. I think for me, expectations. So they weren't really my own. I can't really say I had expectations. I mean, obviously, when you go on the immersion trip, which is what I did, and that was three weeks, and it was organised by the Confucius Institute. Those three weeks were obviously, obviously very structured. We knew, like, you know, had a whole itinerary about what happens each day. So there weren't expectations or really predictable outcomes of things you're already told you're going to do. But before, before the second time I went there to actually live there and move there. That was a completely different thing. I guess my expectations there were, they were still really based a lot on that structured element. I just thought, oh, well, like, we'll be there and for 10 months, stuff will be planned, things will happen. Obviously, we found out very quickly that is not the case. Um, I remember when other friends and well-wishers were congratulating me in the scholarship, they're all like, oh, well, you know, you're going to have to get used to eating dog. I, ho I hope you have no pets. And I was like, I mean, Okay, it's <laughs> like fun fact, and just to get this out the way now, because I'm gonna get this somewhere in the comments. But do they actually eat dog? And I'm like, like yes, but so rarely. Like I don't think they, I don't think it deserves the sort of mention that it seems to get amongst people. Um, so friends I've talked to when I was living there essentially said that yes, people have eaten dogs in the rural areas, but it's certainly not as common or expected as is sometimes made out in the West. And it's typically only in very extreme circumstances also. Like it's, you know, stray dogs and, and rural countryside or things like that. But it's, it's for a lot of people not really, it's not even close to being part of a staple diet there. And I think that I actually remember when I was living there that the sort of, I don't know, maybe it's around March or April in the year where it's like, the, the, the annual dog eating festival. And I think it's down in Guilin. I think it is like, Yunnan, right? yeah. oh, Yunnan, yeah. And I think it, it so I lived in Tianjin, which is in the north of the country, so very far away from Guilin or Yunnan. But that's the sort of infamous dog eating festival. It sounds really awkward to say that, doesn't it? There's a festival for dog eating. Focuses on that, I guess, because, you know, people have dogs in their homes and stuff. I mean, I don't have any pets myself, but. Um, I found other stuff uh, on offer more surprising, like um, when you go to those narrow street markets, I'm thinking one, especially in Beijing, in um, a place called Wang Fujin, and I just mm -hmm. remember seeing like, oh, yeah. scorpions for the first time, and then like starfish, <laughs> and they're like still alive on the... Yeah, just about, oh no, yeah, no, 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 hard pass. Um, 
But I, th I think with I think with that with dogs, I think what people sometimes forget that dogs are dogs are wild animals that we've chosen to domesticate. Like in the, in the sense that, like, if you're not in a culture that sees dogs as pets, you see them as very reasonable sources of food, then why wouldn't you? Um, I think people forget that sometimes because they grew up here and they're so used to like, you know, in almost every family they're around having a dog of some sort. I never grew up with pets either, so maybe I'm being a bit, I don't know, cynical since I never had a pet to lose and to feel really bad that some, in another part of the world someone would put that dog on a plate. I'm not, it's just one of those things though, like, understands why in other parts of the world dogs could be yeah but anyway i just wanted to get out of the way because i know someone's going to ask me about it later but so now that we've covered so what what was the biggest culture shock that sort of arose when you first arrived you think i mean we could use this point we just talked about the food um, that is a big shock in itself um, even just the stuff that people eat quite often um, I think it's okay if you're not um, like a vegan or if you have some kind of food requirements um, you have to go in with quite an open mind I mean let's be honest the food is one of the first things you're going to encounter because you get off the plane you're going to be hungry you're going to want to eat something so I mean like even you just go down to the um, fruit and veg store and then I just remember seeing like mm -hmm. um, these vacuum packed chicken feet in between like watermelon and you know oh yeah apples <laughs> and you know that that's <laughs> totally normal there but uh, I guess stuff like that would really put people off especially if you don't eat any like meat or any animal products um, and then even stuff like in the, if you go to the restaurant and order um, like a side of vegetables you know like some broccoli or you know cabbage or whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. and then there'll be fried bacon coming out with it but it's not on the menu um you know which is great i, I love that it just it added taste and um you know for me that's great but for others i can tell it wouldn't be um you know what they're expecting or what they what they even want because yeah the, the, the con the concept of vegetarianism or work were still loosely veganism and it's not my opinions on either but just being there and seeing if they, there is no there is no understanding of what these things are and why people are taking those diets in China I remember like some of the girls in my trip who were vegetarian had to literally like they had to write the Chinese out for like I only eat vegetables <laughs> it's just but like and so they'd have to like show that or like read that out to someone at a restaurant. Like they almost, it felt like they almost had to say that um, meat makes them sick or something. They had to describe it as if it was some sort of illness or some sort of thing they would get if they had meat. Because that's the other thing. It's often, it's often not the, not the presence of meat that will get a vegetarian, but like the pork oil and all the, all the oils that they've cooked meats in are just the exact same used to cook vegetables in. And I think that's often, I think I do actually feel a bit sorry for some of those people in those situations. Cause it's a bit like, I accept, I accept that you'd want to be vegetarian if that's a choice you've made, but like some countries and some cultures actually do not know what it means to live that way and therefore do not 
like have the prerequisite means to make that happen which is just that was really interesting to me that like um it's not like my culture shock or just something i picked up on when thinking about diet and food like that yeah i mean there's there's so many things on there the culture shock is i think with a country like china they're going to be more than than another country that would be closer to to the mm -hmm. for example um i think even the the pace which technology is developing is is astounding like when um when i in my last trip to china last year i just remember um, being really thirsty getting out of the plane and trying to get a bottle of water somewhere and then um annie was with me as well and we didn't have any cash or anything with us you don't want to get a bank card out for a bottle of water you know so and it walks up to the vending machine and just scans her face and then then out comes the bottle of water and i just remember being like really um surprised like this is not something you'd expect from just like it was in a parking lot somewhere and there was um just one of those vending machines and then she literally just like pressed a couple of buttons um scanned her face just you know really unobtrusive <laughs> you get for the face id and then um out came the water and that was that was really like something that stuck with me, I guess. Um, just mm. the fact that you didn't need anything. You could have bought the bottle of water by accident. You just looked at it and then out it comes, you know? And then uh, there it is, yeah. But, you know, anyone could have pressed the buttons. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that that is, I haven't actually heard that one before. That is, that's even new to me that you could do that. It's not surprising in light of some of the other things we've discussed about China and tech and the things that happen there though. I guess it's worth pointing out though that Annie's your girlfriend and it's from China. I was thinking people might just look, who's, who's that? <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely, the culture shock for me was 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 definitely, it, was, it just has to be said, it was it was the whole race thing. The whole race thing. <laughs> there was the sense of having to, having to, but wanting to, justify your nationality in light of your faith, your faith, what? Your race. And people just not getting it. The amount of times that I would try and explain my family background, which I accept is not like, strictly speaking, straightforward, but I also think once it's explained, like it's simplistic. I mean, my dad was born in Lagos, my mum born in London, they met, got married, moved up to Scotland, but I was born here. So I consider myself Scottish for all intents and purposes and trying to trying to explain I even explained it and I even learned to explain it in Mandarin Chinese and just people would be like but you're African and I'm like no 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 <laughs> no I, I've seen that happen as well and it's it's just really um something that they don't, don't get I think in the larger cities it's not as much of an issue just because people I've had more exposure to people from different countries, but mm -hmm. definitely in you know more um, remote areas, that's going to be a big, big mm -hmm. concept of immigration in general. And I think like in a country where ninety four percent of people are like Han Chinese, that that I can understand that like the concept of people moving to other countries and change like changing nationality or whatever because of that being quite foreign like you can't like I think the well, maybe not immigration but the concept of naturalization seems very lost 
a lot of Chinese people I've spoken to, like I guess even even friends here who are second generation or their parents are Chinese, but they consider themselves British, like say that when they talk to other family members, they'd always be considered Chinese and just not living there, even if they've never been to China themselves, even if you know their parents didn't instill much of the culture in them, they're still considered Chinese regardless, just because their parents were born there and they'll be said they'll be said to look Chinese and ergo you are Chinese and that's that's all that needs to be said. But I found it, it was such a wonderful mix of old and new in China. I think it's the best way I could put it. Like you were always your head was being pulled in both directions of seeing what came before you and also seeing how quickly things are coming after you. Like, you know, things are just getting built left, right and centre. We're like WeChat. Like, can we just take a moment for that? Because we, like, people, it's great to have, you know, Facebook and Instagram, you know, we just did an Instagram live and we had a great time there and all of this. But WeChat, like, is allowing, it's a social media site. It's a- An app store in itself, isn't it? An app store in itself. allows plugins from third parties to make things happen you can use a you know a wechat to text or call your friend but at the same time to pay for your shopping to hail taxis to book hotels and holidays and all it really and it's a wallet as well so you can just pop up money on it like you would put money in an atm and it's just a bit like it's kind of crazy to consider that all these things happen like I think I actually read recently that China uh, are the first country in the world to launch their own virtual currency. I heard about that too, yeah. Um, I think it was, was it in Shenzhen? And they, the yeah. government um, basically gave everyone amount of free money. It's probably like 20, 30 pounds worth. Yeah, um, to try it out. Yeah, and it's just, that's the... the it's level another wave, honestly. Pretty much the cashless society, isn't it? Um, yes. Even even when we were there, which was only you know three four years ago, it felt much like that. That cash was only it was only required in the most basic and rural and remote places. Like there was even I even even people begging for money in the streets had WeChat QR codes. That that really uh, got to me as well. Like I was so surprised. And when you had the people asking for money and they but had it does it does make sense with. though it makes me think quite a lot though now of the amount of times walking around here in the uk and people ask for money and you let you kind of say you don't have money on you because the legitimate case is you were only going to buy anything on your phone or on your bank card which is contactless even maybe even more so you know in the middle of covid now and um, so i actually wonder if there needs, if like, I know it's separate to China, but just in a signal, I wonder if there does need to be a conversation at some point about people wanting to donate money to people who are begging or asking for money. And actually, like, those those people who are asking for money are probably losing out as much due to people choosing not to as they are to the fact that they've not got the, the technological requirements for someone to to someone to send them money if they so choose. It's just it's just an interesting thought, but we're here now, we both spent our time, we both know each other, we met each other in China, and at the time we both had completed studying or were in the middle of studying Mandarin Chinese when we were there. So why don't you tell me a bit about Ningbo and your experience studying there 
and then you came up to see me in Tianjin and so how did how did they even compare as like like educational institutions? Wow, okay. Um that I mean so my university has a campus in Ningbo, which is where I went to um, to study. Um it was it was obviously quite different as well from what we were expecting because um, you see pictures and you see it has, you know, like similar buildings and structure, but I guess you, you don't go there for what's similar. You, you want to go and, you know, find things new. Um, mm -hmm. And then what you really, oh, sorry, someone's coming. So tea. Tea. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you're just there for finding something else. That's great. Thank you. Um, and yeah, it was, it was um, comparing it with, with Tianjin, um, I felt Tianjin was like a much bigger student body. I think yeah, when yeah, I yeah. went to Ningbo, it was still quite a small campus. And I just remember always being late for lectures because you literally knew basically everyone on the way to your <laughs> lecture. Um, so you end up like stopping and chatting and say, oh, hey, how are you doing? Let's do something, you know, yeah. uh, at the weekend. Um, and I really like that kind of small campus feel because everyone like, knew each other and it was really close knit. But um, I think that was, you know, even in just a couple of years, those um, places have expanded a lot. Um, I'm sure if I went back now, there'd be even more people. Um, mm. But yeah, I just remember seeing like how many um, people there were studying. And I thought like, a lot of them are obviously going to be studying the language because it was um, Tianjin, like foreign languages university. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I just, yeah, it was really great to kind of compare. And I guess when I went to Tianjin, it was already a few years after I'd done my bit studying down in Ningbo. So to, to an extent, it's not a fair comparison because of the you know, kind of advantage of a couple of years that probably mm. Tianjin had. But, um, you know, it was really, it was amazing just to kind of go up there. And again, Tianjin in itself was not at all as expecting, as I said, <laughs> European architecture and um, those, Definitely, those 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 five streets above the campus to the north. Um, yeah, teams are crazy. Yeah, yeah. Like, so, yeah. For reference, what Hamish is talking about is uh, the Wudabao, which is essentially like five five streets um, north of the Foreign Studies University that I went to. That is almost in its entirety based on European architecture. So these these streets are lines of buildings that could have just been you know, plucked from Toulouse or from Rome or, or from Madrid. Like it was, it was, it was, it was surreal. It's surreal. And in the same way that like people are used to seeing that is, it feels the same way, right? Is like the idea of seeing like the mini Eiffel Tower in Las Vegas and you just look yeah. at it and go, you shouldn't be there. Why are you here? I mean, you're still nice to look at. I'll just go with it. But it was so random and in the middle of these five streets was a Coliseum essentially called mm. the Minyuan Plaza, which, you know, true to true to Chinese form, looks like a Colosseum, would probably feel like one if it was packed full of people, a lot smaller in size, but it was lined of artificial grass. Everyone was hanging out in steps, just like drinking out in public. But the underground was inbuilt, a sort of small sort of shopping center. <laughs> it was like, it was a very, me, very surreal experience, but it is where they, I think those five streets is where they tried to really center a lot of the import shops and all these sort of, like to keep the international theme alive. But yeah, talking about 
changing even in general it's the whole other world because yeah exactly i mean even beyond the campus i mean i was only there for a couple of days as i said but i remember the the architecture by the train station and the, the, yeah. where the river went through and there was this huge clock that just looked like something from you know salvador dali that he'd make it was like this kind of yeah. Do you remember that? And then yeah, there was of course, yeah, it sits right outside the station. The there was like one of the bridges across the river had a huge um, wheel on top of it as well, so people could go up. And yeah, the Tianjin Eye. Yeah, definitely. For those listening, go and go and look up the Tianjin Eye and the Tianjin train station. That's T I A N J I N. Just go and just go and look it up because it's. I don't think I could do it justice describing it. But it's, it's frankly, the Tianjin Eye is one of few or if possibly the only Ferris wheel in the world that's built on a bridge. I found it as a fun fact. Yeah, yeah it's, it's absolutely crazy. But again, I, I just find it necessary to point out that Tianjin is about the fifth, fifth, sixth, maybe largest city in China by population, but it still has a metro population of, what, 17 million people? Like it, it's, it's, I can't even understand that. Like Scotland's as an entire nation is what six, six and a half million people maybe, yeah. and you just don't understand how that many people are so densely fit in, and an area which is still huge. So don't get me wrong, it does take like, you know, two and a half, two and a half hours to go from being high in the port. Because when you see when people say Tianjin's a port city and then they look for the port in the map and it's like Mazzle. ages away, like it should not be called a port city. <laughs> but like you know, you you have to go hours, still have to go three to four hours maybe to cross the entire sort of uh, municipal boundary limits, um, and it's the sheer size of everything in China. It's just something that you, it's really hard to grasp without going there yourself, but. It makes, I mean, I'm I'm from Hamilton. I'm from Glasgow area. It makes Glasgow look tiny. It makes it makes Glasgow, Edinburgh. Really, if you're not one of the other like even London mega cities, mm. your London, your Paris, your Tokyo, New York, LA. It just they're the only kind of cities that I can even think sort of compares to the sheer scale of places like Tianjin. Beijing or Shanghai, like they just go on forever. Although I think there is also something in the way Chinese mega cities are designed is that they just kind of encompass more and more land and they just spread further and further out. But I'd argue that they don't maybe make as many uh, sort of commercial districts and shopping hubs in the neighborhoods themselves but just have very good transport links so everyone can come to the center where there's like you know five like enormous shopping centers or districts like districts pop up out of nowhere you look at a plot you look at a plot of land that looks derelict by the coast two years later it's a full functioning city with a mini city you know one to two million people in a city kind of a city but it's crazy there must be there's you know at least a dozen cities in China that have over, what, seven or eight million residents. <coughs> Amazing. But yeah, as far as, as far as the campus goes, so I was there at Tianjin Wagyu Dashway, 
which is essentially Tianjin Foreign Studies University and I spent 10 months there and I was there on scholarship to learn Mandarin Chinese and I met Hamish through a mutual friend Sam, shout out Sam McGovern if he you know picks up his phone, finds the podcast and listens to this but he he just said oh my mate Hamish is coming up from Shanghai to visit, going out for dinner and drinks, would you like to come join and Honestly, as we said before on Instagram, it was such a such an intense three or four days. And I think it perfectly summed up the way relationships were formed and maintained in China, especially amongst the expat communities and students. Like there just seems to be a case of you you almost spent all day together. And I do love that about um Chinese culture in general, is that there was very few times where it seemed culture acceptable to just pick around on your own and not see people now if that's what you wanted I mean I get that but for me quite extroverted I absolutely love the energy like you know you're wake, you're waking up you go to your classes you spend four or five hours learning Mandarin and you get the afternoon to like do your own thing go shopping or go to the gym or what have you then always around six seven o'clock everyone's messaging each other everyone's like you know, let's get a group of us, six of us, let's go try this restaurant, let's go do this. Because eating out was often in short bursts, like, like just as inexpensive to try and make food. I'd almost argue that eating out in places were cheap, was cheaper. Yeah. And so everyone was just like, cool, we'll meet you by, you know, the back gate of the campus and we'll head out and check this place. We'll go to the canteen. The canteens, honestly, on my campus were amazing. We had so many, so many things on offer, all freshly made. I really loved it. But yeah, you're always so six, seven, eight comes and you're just like, cool, let's all get dinner together. There may be some drinks, especially if it's the holidays, people were more than up for that. Um, getting drinks together, going to the bar. There's a local collection of bars um, called Helen's and there was different branches across the city. And it was just, I think madness in the best possible way. I mean, I was 18 at the time that I was in China. So you can imagine if people know the sort of, uh, here in the UK, the stereotypic like freshers week of uni, it felt like that every single night we went out <laughs> because honestly, because people like, and we'll get to this talking to about, uh, talking about it a bit later, but there was, there was all sorts of like privileges and allowances made for foreigners in these types of situations. I remember Helen's, had a loyalty scheme, which you didn't have to do anything to get, where you got a wee loyalty card and every time you went there, there'd be 25 entries on this, you'd get a stamp and it, you'd be given a free whiskey and coke bucket. And I, I, I literally do mean a mini bucket. And you may be talking, I don't know, 600 mils, 700 mils maybe of just like whiskey and coke. And now it should be said, that there is a thing, there is a thing in some parts of China of recycling alcohol, which is something that I hadn't heard about much. And then I got there and I kind of understood it a bit better, where some some shady bars would just say something like a Johnny Walker Black Label. It would start as a Johnny Walker Black Label, and then after it runs out, it would then be filled up with another like off-brand whiskey, which I mean. To be honest, when you're being given it for free and stuff, it's not like you, you don't complain about it. You, you probably don't care. But I think I think you did start to notice it with some of the headaches you might have woke up with the day after. But I just remember thinking it was so 
um, so so interesting to see how that works out. Um, I, I absolutely loved it, but as I said, these days you spend all this time together, and so you're always bonding and forming relationships. You're studying together, eating together, drinking together, going to clubs together, and it just felt like a time where we we did that so many times across a year and I still talk to a lot of those friends now I've gone to visit one or two if people remember Lucy from my Christmas episode she's from France I went to visit her in Toulouse uh, back in 2019 off the back of that so it just became this network of friends and um, Columbia actually uh, Columbia Paula also from Columbia and then that episode <laughs> I've not got I've not gone to Columbia to visit her but I also met her whilst we were in China and it just became um this case of a network of friends that you just kept for life I absolutely loved it you've got plenty of Chinese friends some have actually come over to the UK now since study like their masters or to do extra degrees here we've met up and um you've just got to love it China was such a great experience for me I absolutely loved it I think yeah I echo a lot of those feelings just the um excitement every day every day felt like um like the first yeah first week of uni as you say just meeting new people and um you just kind of got that instant connection you know it's like oh you're from england too you know or from the uk sorry mm-hmm. um <laughs> and i don't understand that like scotland is the uk yes. the, U- the uk is all the countries you have england or the uk they don't care or understand the others right but I mean, when when you're that far away, it's just like, oh, we're in the same place. It doesn't matter where, um, like, which part of the country we're in. We just feel like we're in the same same area. Yeah. Global. Oh yeah, that's pretty much it. Okay, stands on as well. Oh, I wish people could see that. So Hamish is sitting next to this wonderful globe. He's gone. He's gone for the whole statesman vibe with his setup and. He's just been informed that this globe actually is a light and turns on. It looks twice as cool as it did before. That's great. You can make out detail. You won't be able to see it, isn't it? Um, recording the picture as well. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, it is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's, cool. so they can see it. Maybe it'll go on YouTube. Maybe I'll start doing that. Twenty twenty one things appearing on YouTube now too. But um, I quickly want to shift us on to. I wouldn't say like the negatives, but I think it's only right to talk about China and also bring up. Some of the experiences we had that were a bit more difficult and um, I certainly found for me like racism such a weird one because it's hard to say that it was like active racism in the sense that they see your race as being inferior it's not it's not like that but it's more it was more stereotypic in a lot of ways um, I remember actually going for a teaching job to teach English to some Chinese students in a local school and I had to go and give uh, a trial lesson. So I had made a lesson plan, turned up there all looking smart and was like, here, uh, let me try and... And they, they encourage you to only use English with the children. So I think they really were against, you know, trying to encourage the children to learn English for you, just coaching them in Chinese about how to do it. And so I prepared this lesson and another friend from the same scholarship also went for it and I hadn't even heard back from them after doing that um, trial lesson but then the other guy in question he got a call and it was just a bit like um, I was standing next to him and said well you know can you check can you ask them you know what they thought of mine you know he's not got back to me yet 
and I think I did my trial shift before he did, so I was a bit confused. And I think, if I remember this correctly, their exact response was, oh, we liked Nathan's lesson, but parents have a big sway on um, local education in China. They very much are very invested in who their children are taught by. Like, the plight of a teacher is almost decided in a lot of ways by the opinion of the parents. But some, t- some parents were there watching me give this lesson to their kids, but they'd said, oh, we, we prefer that our children are taught by someone that looks like they're on TV, looks like they're, you know, like actually Western. And I was just a bit like, I don't, I don't really know what to say to that because I'm a native English speaker. I've taught, I've taught some language briefly before, like I would make a good go of doing that job. And there were certain instances of that, of just like race becoming a little bit commodified in ways. Like it was all quite interesting. I mean, at first the sort of everyone wanting to take pictures of you and, you know, bless their children and you know, hold babies and stuff. Like it's, it's funny, funny, it's amusing um, in a sense. And then after a while you start to go like, people are interacting with me almost solely on the fact that they see me as this like foreign exotic you know excitement to be around and not so much as a human being with thoughts and feelings and you know maybe maybe I just want to have like a low-key day where I just stroll around some shops and pick up some things rather than you know people giving you a strange look or you know trying to take a picture that was often it people wouldn't ask it's like it like the only thing I think I could compare it to because I've not had this experience of being like an absolute you know celebrity in somewhere like Hollywood and like you know trying to like I don't know go to Target or their their American equivalent of like an Asda and like just folk like snapping pictures of you as you walk around the aisles or something you're just like this is this was fun but when you're actually living there you're like right okay and you try to tell people you know please don't take pictures or you know ask talk to me first but whether it was maybe my lack of language skills at the time, but I just felt that it was very much I felt a bit on exhibition a little bit. Um, now, when I talk to friends about this, talk to Chinese friends, they would explain that it's not, um, it's, it's an interest. It's not like a, it's not a derogatory thing for them to take pictures if you like that. But I think that was one of the things I had to contend with when I was over there, was feeling that way. Because obviously if someone, tried to do that in the UK, we just called them out, called them out and be like, hey, what's that about? But in China, they didn't see what they were doing as something that could make me feel uncomfortable or, you know, just throw me off a little bit. But did, did you have any experiences of like the sort of, I dub it the foreigner's privilege, but did you feel in ways that, did you watch situations happen and you're like, oh, if I was Chinese, it wouldn't have happened like that? Uh... I can't really relate to any of those um, sort of situations that you had to go through, which is, which, yeah, it sounds like um, another world, doesn't it, when you talk about it like that. Um, <laughs> I mean, for me, it, it just, like, it happened very organically, I guess, because um, when I was studying there, I knew a lot of people just moved to Shanghai after graduation to try and, you know, um, start their career or just mm. go into find a job and in an internship somewhere. Um, and then, yeah, I just, I applied from the UK for, for the first job I went to there. Um, and yeah, it was, it was all on the telephone. So I guess it was a bit, um, 
like they can't that can't have been the factor for me because mm -hmm. they didn't even see me. like what we're doing now we can we can see each other but um yeah i mean i think going back to what you said there's always going to be some kind of um curiosity from from the chinese side but um and like earlier we were saying before about people saying like oh where are you really from you know there's some people like that in every country um, yeah. you know, unfortunately there's those people who just have a an idea in their head and then they're, they're not gonna get like another and um, they're not gonna change their mind until mm. they just keep you know and i you, you see stuff like that on um on tv as well people just yeah they have a, this idea and they kind of try and impose it on you and you know it's just you've got to stand your ground and just say no this is where i'm from you know just proud of proud of your hometown and mm. um i think yeah it's just it's one of those things isn't it in life it's um yeah i've experienced it in other countries as well not just um in china people think oh so you'd be from um yeah i guess it depends on your accent as well because people can tell straight away where where you're from um, mm. based on that as well but um yeah i think it's just it's it's not unique to to china in that sense it is is um a global phenomenon unfortunately you have people everywhere who just kind of have that, that idea in their minds already you know like before you even try and explain no i'm actually from this place <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah i think i think for me what one thing that i i kind of try to hold on to now and something that i think came from my time in china was trying to think of as part in the way this podcast came around was like i always sometimes when someone says something quite outlandish or offensive like it's not not a race thing just in general when people say things that make me think well that's really alienating or it doesn't seem like they understand anything about how someone else lives i don't know why i, it's, I don't know how it happens either but i've always come to tell myself you know what just remember these things like they're people with their own mind heart and feelings you know they love their kids and i don't know why they love their kids is the one that sticks for me because i'm always when people say or do things and I kind of go like, could you say that? How could you be like that? Like, I just don't understand you. I try to remind myself, we're not all that different. Like we you know, we all love our kids. We all want people to do well. We all have a generally positive outlook on making life better than when we entered it. I guess the, the, the differing factor is people have different ideas of what that looks like and therefore how to do it. So for some reason, like telling myself, remember, you know, you know everyone has to eat everyone loves their kids reminding myself of like very basic truths has become really really helpful so I remember there were times when I was in China I was like I just don't know why like this because I think I think when you're looking into identity and culture that's one of the things that can really get you if you've got an identity if you've got a culture and you're you're proud of it and like people don't accept that and you feel like you have to prove and justify yourself to someone um, and that was hard at the same time actually I can't remember if I ever told you that but at the same time I actually didn't have a church to go to either um, so like I, and I it was when I was 18 so I'd been baptized only what, two months three months before flying over to China and I remember how strange it was to like sort of stand there being baptized in a room filled of people that you know, all of an appreciation of your faith or what it meant to you, etc. And then to just go somewhere where you couldn't even talk about it. And I remember like we had, I had no, I was told like, look, I wouldn't talk about it because you don't know how people will react here. And especially there'll be some people that 
you know, do very much believe like the government that there should be no form of organized religion. The only, I guess, God is like the government and that's meant to be it. And so it was such a intriguing time. And I remember it was only through two American students, um, Brandon and Clay, that I met great guys who, like we, we eventually got talking about it and they were like, well, we're actually Christians. We actually do go to a church. And I was like, you do? Where on earth is this? Where's, where is that been hiding? And I remember they took me along one week, but I just never remember and never forget them saying, okay, so I'll meet you at 10 a.m. and we'll walk over there or get a taxi, but remember, take your passport. I was like, what? And he's like, you'll, you'll understand it when you get there, but you need your passport. And we had to go, I had to bring my, my original, even a photocopy, I had to bring my original passport with me when I first went to this church service and have it scanned because they had to have like the government mandate said that all sort of church goers or you know any people of any religion that attend a service or a congregation had to had to be saved on a sort of database or something that the government could ask for almost at any time i remember just all these like all these really interesting things about china that would pop up like every day was an adventure like no two days were exactly the same and it is rare to say that I think without sounding a bit right but honestly like it was just you woke up you just thought what 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 will I get up to today we have so many stories of you as we've discussed I know we don't have time for them all now but I've got two we've got two last points I'd love to cover and that is retrospective advice and then I just want you to tell me your your favorite story and or experience of being in China so what would you say first for retrospective advice if someone came up to you now and said look I'm going out to China like any any advice you've been out there what would you say well but first of all it's really interesting hearing a lot of your stories there because for me that's probably um the first time I've heard some of those as well and um, mm. so I have to like take that in and process, process yeah. and, and <laughs> Because that is a lot to take in for sure. Um, but yeah, giving myself some retrospective advice. I think um, it goes back again to the whole like visa procedure as well, because there are times when um, it just got really uh, complex and you thought like it wouldn't make it, and also costly, like um, yeah. all the documents like, certified and um, just getting that document by itself costs, cost a fair amount. And then you had to like go and get it um, I don't know what the, you know, the right phrase is, but it had to go like certified that this is a, a legit document. Um, mm. And by the time, you, you know, you were going to be reimbursed for these, hope, you just hoped um, yeah. that it was just like you're building up all this extra costs and that's before you even bought the plane yeah, tickets. A, you know? There was a police check I remember we had to do that cost like, you know, a hundred pounds or something like that. And you're like, uh, okay, um, sure. Health exactly. checks and things like that once you arrived. So, I mean, w amongst all that, I would have just um, look, told myself, like, yeah, you know, it's just one of those things. Um, you'll you'll get through the other side. Just don't give up. Because if you give up after you've done all that, then you really will have just wasted all that um, mm. time and effort. Um, but and then even when you're when you've arrived, you know, you've got to do the the medical, haven't you? And that that's yep. uh, that's a whole process in itself. Um, so yeah, it's just. It's perseverance, isn't it? And um, just telling yourself it's worth it in the end because of the experiences. And like, like you said, every day is, is different and 
that makes that makes life really amazing and, and enjoyable, isn't it? It's just um, you, you come away with so many lessons learned and um, experiences gained. I just uh, I've I've never had a time like that. Um, you almost feel like you're um, back in school again. You know, just learning so much. Um, that's on top of the language and everything uh, when you're trying to um, immerse yourself and learn it as quick as possible. Um, it's also just like wow. Okay, this is how people eat rice over here. You know, um, struggling <laughs> to eat like anything. You know, maybe not, yeah. not. You know, there's something that you say. Okay, this is how everything. You know, everyone does it this way. Then you say, oh, okay, actually, now I find eating noodles with chopsticks easier than like swelling a fork around, which is what I used to do. <laughs> um, you know what I mean? Just little things like that. Just kind of, um, you know, you, you appreciate the little takes on life that you that you've got because of because um, of those times in China. Mm. I went for retrospective. How about you? What would you? Yeah, what would you um, say to yourself looking back? I would, I would say that I I took this advice relatively but i'd say that it was so useful and if anyone asked me about going to china now i'd still say the same thing which is to be prepared to let go of your sort of eurocentric western-centric view on how the world works and what's the best way to live and um to let go of the idea that what you knew or what you're used to is the best way to do things like i just remember being and awe and you know impressed so many times by Chinese people by the architecture by the history by the sheer scale of the things that they're able to achieve there and I just thought like I just thought of all the times that if I'd allowed myself to think whether out of pride or a sort of whether it's like racism or slight um Eurocentrism as being the hate of the world, thinking like kind of going, oh, it's it's nice, but it's not it's not a Paris, so it's not a Los Angeles, so it's not a London, and like it doesn't have to be a completely, you know, different entity. And I I've found such joy in just accepting like they do things differently here. Just because something is different does not make it better or worse. It makes it different, and I think it's there to be understood. <laughs> be curious about yeah and it took me such a long way when I was there I've done things I could have never imagined and um, you know whether it's going up the great wall whether it's solo traveling you know into the mountains to go to a kung fu temple I have so many stories from China that I could tell yeah. I mean I ran a bar on New Year's Eve at the lunar New York New Year's Eve you're we serving Canadian pilots in some American foreign bar my Chinese friend who was the bartender was just a bit like if you can pour a pint just hot by they just didn't care and it was all these all these things that like I think that I have sometimes a, a nature to be like no but here's a plan here's a structure here's how we do it but just that that year was it was so nice to go somewhere where I didn't feel like that I knew the most and so should have an opinion on how things get done it was so nice just to sort of relinquish all of that and just say look I'm in your I'm in your culture I'm on your turf so to speak show me your ways and be really open to what I find and so yeah that's probably what I'd say to someone be be willing to to give up that I guess notion of superiority as to how things should happen no 100% just go in with an open mind and yeah you'll 
you'll be amazed with your with your new approach and your new take on on yeah, the simplest things. Yeah, I, I totally uh, totally uh, back at that app as well. So last thing before we go, what what would you say is your favorite your favorite? If you could only pick one story, a quick story to tell, what would it be about something a time you loved in China? Well, I mean, it's, it's hard to narrow it down, isn't it, to just the one. Uh, the, tra the travels are great. Like, I love how we both love Shanghai Guan as one of our, mm, our favourites. And that was, were you doing a solo travel? No, you went with the no, others. No, I went with two friends. I went with Lucine and Espo from France. There was just, I was just a bit like, you know what? We, we need I, more adventures I, and Shanghai Guan was the place. Okay, cool. I mean, I, I enjoyed it a lot as well because it was my one of my solo travels. So I just, mm. I, don't, I just, I just did a bit of you know like looking up where it's good to go, and, and I was kind of focusing on the wall as well. I wanted to go to a new section, and then Shanghai, Shanghai Guan popped up, and I just like yeah, let's okay. And I just went on the um, the Galtier from from Shanghai. I think it took about you know eight nine hours. Um, which is incredible like so go and go and look up Shanghai Guan it is where the Great Wall meets the seafront in China if you just see on a map how far that is from Shanghai the fact that you're able to do that in eight nine hours is kind of incredible well yeah I mean the train just kind of eats up the miles doesn't it it's, it's super fast and mm. yeah I'm, I'm, I guess I'm trying to still um, think about like one of the best experiences I mean, like like you mentioned before, um, about just being able to translate to those Frenchmen at the yep. Terracotta Warriors, and I remember as well when my dad came to to visit, and just being able to you know um, walk around confidently enough to just like ask directions and not be afraid to get lost and make myself the tour guide. That that was a great feeling as well, just to kind of um, take the two of us around and um, yeah, just. You, I feel like to be able to enjoy any city properly, you need to be able to step away from, um, you know, the group. I mean, if you're in a in a tour group, then it's um, it's harder to kind of experience those things one one on one. I feel like everyone wants to get something slightly different out of the trip. So yeah. if everyone's doing the same thing all at once, there's always going to be some people who are not. Um, you know, doing well. Yeah. So I think it, it, it's just a simple thing, isn't it? But being able to have that confidence and that like that language ability just to kind of be able to go out on your own um mm. it's a great feeling when you've when you've got to that stage in your chinese yeah uh oh it's just i can't believe i only have one um, yeah how about one. yours is it um, is it an interesting thing or is it more like um you so, know personal traveling oh gosh i really... I have so many stories. I know I asked this question to so you think, oh, he has one memory in mind, but I, I could do this all night just telling stories of my time there. And honest, honestly, like my favorite, my favorite overall thing, my favorite big high-level thing was the humanization of people as I went there. Like I I definitely think that there would have been a time before any involvement with China, considering what people would tell me here about the Chinese people in general, and not, not that these people had been to China, I should say themselves, but just what they'd heard from media, what they'd seen, that they said that Chinese people were, you know, a bit cold or standoffish or, you know, that they, um, like, even, even past, like, the sort of racist tropes of, well, they all look the same and they're all this. I remember people used to say horrible, horrible things about 
Chinese people, Chinese culture. They just did not get it and would not respect it. And I just absolutely loved being in China for the way it just humanized all that to me. Like, so I remember um, we, there was a Chinese girl, Amanda, that we became friends with her in her English. Her English was very, very good. She actually you know, currently, um, or currently she's previously actually then come to study in England since I met her, English is amazing. But being able to sort of speak a bit of Chinese and make friends with Chinese people actually allowed me to start asking questions that previously weren't on the table. You know, I remember being in Beijing and asking people, you know, what's the deal with, you know, Tiananmen Square and not being able to find out much about that. Or, you know, how do you, how do you particularly feel about the situation with Hong Kong? Do you believe it's everything's one China? Or do you believe these places have their own cultures and thoughts? Because I obviously turned up to all these places with very, you know, Western-centric viewpoints on democracy and how countries should function. And I just absolutely love uh, meeting people, not just from China, but from all over the world, that it was just a melting pot. It really was studying at a foreign uni. And um, so that's my sort of, my, my, my vague high-level one. And then my my individual memory has to be Xi'an, just going to the old capital. It was a solo trip that, well, the solo trip only took one, and it was it came on the back of a 17-hour sleeper train, <laughs> hard, hard birth sleeper train from Beijing to Xi'an. I hadn't told my parents that I was taking this trip until I arrived and I was there. Safe to say my mum wasn't thrilled. And <laughs> I remember, um, you know, looking for my ho my hostel. And actually, in, in the most surreal moment of my life, I think, um, I bumped into a girl, Karika, who's originally from Germany. I met her first, like, with my dad, who'd come to visit. I guided to the Great Wall in Beijing four days earlier. We were on the same tour group, got to talking, all was great. Go down to Xi'an, having not told, you know, having not said to the other that we'd be in Xi'an, bumping into a, into a, in a random subway station in Xi'an, like you could not write this. Um, and we just thought, this is, this is too crazy, we have to hang out. And we ended up going around the whole Muslim quarter in Xi'an, which uh, hands down makes some of the best food I've ever had and making a whole like a whole experience of hanging out and getting to know each other just through this sheer surreal randomness it was fantastic and then the day after you know waking up literally like 10 minutes before I meant to get on a tour bus to go to the Terracotta Warriors and you know jumping out of bed rushing in just literally the skin of my teeth making it on the tour bus sitting next to two Frenchmen um, a father-son team like Walter and his dad and obviously it transpired that I knew French and you know, I was learning French I mean I could speak French competently enough and they didn't speak any Mandarin and as we went around the Terracotta Warriors like we would chat to each other a bit in French and then I would translate or add extras and or ask the tour guide things in Chinese and then sort of translate it back haphazardly into French but like I just remember at one point sitting in a restaurant having dinner and I was just kind of like, you were using both of your foreign languages, not only to converse, but to translate. Like I just would have never thought, never thought I would have this seen that day and anyone that's started learning a second language at all, like, you know, when you're right at the start, you're like, I don't know how on earth I meant to speak this fluently eventually. But I, for me, that whole 
I know it's not a short story. I'm not good with short stories, but <laughs> I have to give all the context because it just is the most surreal, I don't know, four or five days of my life. Like, it's so amazing. All the things that sort of happen in sort of a short space of time. So Xi'an has such a special place in my heart, as does China in general. And um, yeah, I encourage anyone who's even remotely thinking of going there to just do it. And as you said before, there'll be some bureaucracy, there'll be some hassle. It won't be the cheapest thing in the world. I mean, get a scholarship, frankly, you know, if you can, <laughs> if you can, in fact, if you're going and check out the Confucius Institute um, and your region or county, because I think they definitely do a lot of opportunities to sort of help make that process easier. But yeah, go, go to China, like you will not regret it. Absolutely not. That's, that's been amazing fun. Isn't it? But that's that's what you've got to do, I think, to experience these new things and meet meet like-minded people and just the travel opportunities. That there's some, there's something in China for everyone. Uh, if you're a foodie for the food, if you're um, you know, like uh, if you love traveling, there's somewhere for everyone. You know, it's yeah, it just can't recommend it enough as well. Yeah, absolutely. Mate. Well, that's it's been a lot of fun and it's been fun to take a more sort of conversational tone and and on this podcast like it's, it's nice to sort of broach a topic we both have so much to contribute to and I've absolutely loved doing this with you so thank you for coming on um, I hope everyone who's really enjoyed getting an insight into into our experiences in China I hope it's piqued some interest in yourself maybe it makes you want to you know pick up a Chinese textbook and maybe it makes you start glancing at flights to Shanghai in the near future I mean or whenever COVID is over. I mean, hopefully hopefully this will age well and people can actually say that COVID was over and was able to go. But, you know, until then, you can dream. You can, listen, you can listen to this podcast as a way to travel vicariously through us. But I absolutely love this. Um, so, yeah, I think that is us. And we will see you all next time. So thank you so much for being with me, Hamish. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks. Yeah. All right. Well, talk to you soon, man. Yeah, guys. Bye. Bye. All right, and that's another podcast wrapped up. I want to thank Hamish again for coming on, and I hope you guys have really got something out of that and on after a little bit more of the world today. Uh, if you want to see more of what I'm doing with the podcast, you can come and find us at On Earth Podcast on our Facebook page if you search that, or you can also come and find sort of my overall network of things at A God Made Man on Instagram, and that Instagram handle is at A God Made underscore Man, all lowercase. Um, or you can go on the website where you'll find all of these podcasts linked to called agoatinatree.com. And yeah, I think that's everything. So thank you for this and I'll catch you in the next one. And also a happy Chinese New Year when it comes. Or